It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hello, everyone. How are you out there in podcast land? This is Matt Hausman host for the Smart Money Questions podcast and smartmoneyquestions.com. I hope you're doing great. And let me tell you, I've got a couple doozies today, a couple good questions that have come in. And one of the questions in particular, I know that when I speak with other parents that are parents of the kids, uh, my kids' age, which range in between 18 and almost 22, is people really have a, they don't really sit in the middle of this one. It's kind of like back in the day with Dickie Vitale was coming on the scene with ESPN. You either either loved him or you hated him. And that's kind of the way this one question was posed to me. And I'm going to talk about some different things that have happened in the office over the course of the last five or six years, specifically around this question. And so with that, to go over what it is we look to do here is a couple times uh, a month, I like to get on the... um, the mic here and talk about the things that are happening in our office, either the engagement with our current clients or maybe some people that are looking to become clients. They're kind of feeling us out. We're feeling them out and take those scenarios and hopefully be able to create value and education. So you are able to look at your own situation, recognize you shouldn't just be looking at it in a singular mindset, but looking at it from different angles, from different lenses, to hopefully be able to recognize the right questions, the smart money questions to ask. So with that being said, before we jump in, let's get to the disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, if you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmat.com. That's www.speakwithmat.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15- or 30-minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation? So again, very low-key. Go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com, and schedule it there. So all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. All right, so let's jump into this. So the first one is a doozy. And as I mentioned earlier, as I talk to the parents of my kids' age, is this really is something that you don't really ride the fence on this one. It's one side or the other. And this one is, uh, this comes to us from Missouri. And it is, we had kids later in life, later than most people. So they'll be in college when we are getting ready to retire. Should we just make them get student loans instead of trying to come up with the money to pay the tuition after we are already retired? So the first thing I would tell you is I would go out and get as many loans as you can because if good old Bernie wins, he's just going to forgive him anyway. Okay. (laughs) 
enough of that one. Okay, so let's talk about this. The first thing, let's go back. I had We had kids later in life, and they're going to be starting college when we're ready to retire. Should we come up with loans to pay for the tuition after we are retired? The first question I would ask you, Missouri, is have you already saved enough for your retirement and sending the kids to school? Because the way I read this question is getting close to retirement, maybe we haven't saved enough for our retirement to where now there can be a big financial strain being in retirement and trying to also use our retirement funds, what maybe little we have saved, now for college tuition. So the first thing that's what I would say is, have you, do you have enough away for your own retirement? And the next one is, have you saved anything for your kid's education? You know, this really becomes, uh, I know most of the people my age and Maggie's age and, and older is very few of us went to school where our parents were footing the bill. It was really a situation where we were either getting grants or scholarships or most of the time loans. Now, truth be told, College and you know going to even undergrad and grad school was much less expensive than what it is today, and that's a whole other podcast. As I'll tell you why my belief is that's happened, but it is different now. And this idea that really started, I believe, back in the maybe with a little bit older than my generation, Generation X, is all of a sudden there was this idea that we have to be able to provide for our kids and and save for that college many times at the sacrifice of our own retirement. And my belief is, my thinking is, as an advisor, I would tell you that you want to be really looking at your own retirement before looking to put aside money or go get loans, sign those loans that, by the way, are unforgivable. They're super liens. You can't even declare bankruptcy to get out of them. Those government loans, I think they're actually called student plus loans, where the parent is on the hook, not the child. And you really want to look at, you know, if you've been diligent and you have saved and for both your retirement, and you have a deep desire to send your kids and and have them not come out of school with debt. Maybe you did come out of school with debt, and it created a strain for multiple years, and so you want to make sure that your kids don't have to deal with that, and you've been diligent in saving for both retirement and their college. More power to you. You know, I, I think that is great, but if it's a situation where you're having to sacrifice your own retirement, for paying for the kids' school, I would highly caution that. I can't tell you how many people, well, I did tell you earlier, how many people have been in our office over the course of the last five or six years that are really not looking good in retirement because, you know, in some cases, their kids actually graduated college or grad school, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and they're still paying on, they still have either they still have some debt left, or they don't have nearly enough to retire when they want to, maybe in the next two to five to, to six years. And it's going to be a struggle for them because uh, I can tell you in my area where we are, there's such an automatic assumption that all kids will go to school and that all parents are going to pick the bill up. And that is felt by the parents and the kids. And so I would tell you, going back to the question, first of all, have you saved enough for your own retirement? If you have not, 
then I think the thing that you really need to look at is going to a school that makes financial sense. You know, if that means initially going to a community college and then after graduating there, transferring to an in-state school, you know, don't look to go to some of these out-of-state schools where the out-of-state tuition is just ridiculous, in my opinion. I have to keep saying, (laughs) in my opinion. It's so important to really look at that. And the other thing I would tell you is when you're discussing with your kids, and I know it's very difficult when you're 18, 19, 20, 22 years old to really know what am I going to go to school for that I'm really going to like for the rest of my life or at least put me in the direction of a career that I'm going to like. Maybe not exactly what I'm studying for, but at least I'm going to be liking what I'm doing. Because I can't tell you how many times, how many kids that we know, friends of our kids that are a little bit older that have graduated college and they have come out of school and they're not doing anything close to what they went to school with. I mean, not even it's not even remotely close. So, I mean, those are the hard questions that we want to ask. And that's why going to a school that you're paying twenty, thirty. a year to go to school, and you're not really sure if what you're going to school for is going to be what you want to do afterwards, that's again where I caution you. You as the parents in this question right here, you really have to be having that conversation with your kids, whether you're going to be paying for it or whether you're going to be taking out loans. Let's really look at where we're going to school. And The reality is I hear this all the time. Well, it's the life experiences that they're going to get. Well, they can have life experiences in multiple different places. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to be going to an out-of-state school or even an in-state private school that's costing $40,000 a year just to have that experience. That's one thing I would tell you is to really get diligent in looking at that. The other thing I would look at now, going back to what are they wanting to do, is What is the return on investment on educational dollars spent when they come out of school? Some of the people that have been in my office and they have talked about what the kids went to school for, and I just look at them and I'm like, well, what in the world are they going to do with that? You know, back in the day, we used to make fun of, wow, that kid's going to major in basket weaving. And in some cases, (laughs) that's what it is. They're coming out of school, and there's no return on investment. I was talking with a parent the other day, and they were a little frustrated with their kid because the kid was going to a school that was not inexpensive. It was, uh, quite frankly, it was pretty pricey. And he was asking, this is the father, he was asking these questions, and the reality was the kid was going to end up about $100,000 in debt and he was probably going to come out and on the top end of the scale was going to make $80,000 a year. You really, I mean, how long is it going to take to pay that debt back? So you really, you know, when, you, when you're looking at higher education and the cost associated with that, I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and he was like, you know, a bachelor's degree now is just like getting a high school education. You got to go one step further. You got to get a master's. Well, now we're getting even to more money spent. And so really analyze that with your kids. Sit down and talk to them. You know, so going back to your question, had kids later in life, does it make sense? We're going to be in retirement. Should we get loans? Have these conversations. Look at your own finances. Have you saved enough for your own retirement? And put away for their schooling. You know, if you haven't designated money for their schooling, then all of my retirement funds, have you done an income plan 
that, yeah, if I need to, you know, if I got two kids and I need to take a couple hundred thousand dollars out of my retirement funds, am I still going to be okay? You know, that's usually a question that um, when people come in and many times that's what I'll hear. They'll we'll sit down and they'll say, I just want to let you know I had four kids and I put them through school and they didn't come out with a dime and that's why I don't have much. And all of a sudden now, it's like we don't have much. What am I supposed to do? I'm two or five years away from retirement. And what I've seen in those situations, and maybe they're taking on way too much risk in that two to five years because they're thinking, I've got to make as much. I've got to take what I have and get it to multiply. So taking on too much risk, and then if we have like the fluctuations and the volatility we've had in the market just recently, that can really, I mean, boy, that can just take that out if you're really, really aggressive. So again, you know, when you're looking at these situations later in life, or or you're younger, you're my age, you know, am I paying for my my kid's school to sacrifice my own retirement? Go out there and do the Google searching on that. Many people will tell you prioritizing your retirement. Financial planners will tell you that is what you should look at first and look at the schooling opportunity second for the kids in terms of you funding it. And then the other thing I would tell you to do, because school is so expensive, is have those conversations with your kids. Or if you're already retired with the grandkids, and maybe they're the ones that are looking to go to school and you know, have those tough questions. What do you want? What are you going to want to do? You know, how much is this realistically going to cost? You know, if the kids got skin in the game and they don't think mom and dad are just out there with credit cards and checkbooks, you know, they, they will take a harder look at it. Trust me, I know. So really, you know, have those questions. Help them understand what's going to be coming out on the backside when, um, as, as one of my daughters said, you know, when the real world gets ready to slap them in the face, they, they need to be prepared for that. So anyway, hopefully that helps you, Missouri. Again, look at your own retirement funds. If you haven't saved specifically for college, then if you pull out what you are thinking you're going to have to do for their tuition and books and fees and all that room and board, can your retirement be still sustained? And the only way I believe you can do that is looking at a distribution plan if you pull that money off the table. So hopefully that helps. Okay, let's jump to another one. This comes to us from Ohio. And this is, we're both 63 and we haven't saved much for retirement. In fact, we haven't really saved anything, but we're ready to sell our farm to a young family and the sale will net us just under a million bucks. We're going to need to buy a house to move into, but other than that, what should we do with this money? Well, it sounds like most of your wealth was within the farm. And if you're going to net that million dollars, is and I hope that is after the tax uh, that would be on the farm or on the sale of that farm. Is what I would tell you to really look at is first of all, you said I have to buy a home. How much is that going to cost? You know, I, I've spoke numerous times on the podcast about the idea of downsizing, and many times, especially in our area, downsizing is not a financial downsize; it's just a square footage downsize. So, you know, how much money is going to be left for? investments. And maybe one of the things that you should look to do before buying the home is analyze if now the farm is gone, and I'm assuming that that's been what's generating your income and your revenue year over year. Now that that income is gone, that revenue is gone. And so what is going to be the income need 
And how much of that million dollars are we going to need to invest in something to generate the income that we need? I'm assuming that you're also going to have Social Security. So when are we going to turn Social Security on? You said you're 63. Are we waiting until for retirement age, which might be, you know, 66 and a half, 66, maybe almost 67? You know, when are we going to do that? And then, then you can look at, we need to buy a home. I would be looking first at how much of that million dollars are we going to need for our retirement income purposes. And again, I think the only way that you can look to get that done is through an income distribution plan using that money and the income expenses and need that you have. And again, I would look at your expenses in a couple different ways. We want to look at keep the lights on. So, you know, whatever that's going to be, you know, utilities and maybe a rent payment instead of a mortgage payment, or you're not talking about having a mortgage payment because you're going to pay cash for the home. You know, do a couple different scenarios there. Car insurance, home or renter's insurance, you know, the, uh, the internet bill, the cable bill, or the streaming bill, whatever that is. Then we're going to look at lifestyle money. That's the lifestyle that you're normally living, going out to eat, going to the movies, making, maybe taking a couple trips here and there. And then you're going to do the bucket list years, which are more the bigger items that you're wanting to look at. You know, I, I w- was meeting with clients yesterday, all day yesterday, and one of them I thought, <laughs> I thought was an awesome trip that they did. They spent uh, three weeks and drove from Delaware all the way out west. I, I forget how many parks they saw and drove back. And I think they said it was like 65 or 6,800 miles in doing that. So that's a bucket list item that they had. They wanted to go out and take that venture, be able to take three weeks to go out and do it. Whatever your bucket list items are, that's a different category. And most of the time, you're going to have those bucket list items checked off over the course of five to seven years after retirement, when now we have more time freedom to go experience that. Come up with that distribution plan. Then I would suggest that you go after looking at those different scenarios. Okay, now how much can we go spend on the home? Because if you end up taking a million bucks and okay, I'm going to go buy a home and it's five or 600,000 and I've only got three or 400,000 left to do, yet my expense need surpasses where my draw on that is so great, well, then it doesn't make sense to buy that home, right? So those are the different scenarios I would be running through before I'm asking myself, What is it that you said? What should I do with the money? The first thing we want to look at is what's that money going to do for me from an income standpoint? How much am I going to need of that million dollars to generate income for me in whatever investment decisions that you decide to make? And you're only going to be able to make those prudently, in my opinion, by looking at the different scenarios that are needed before looking to to buy the home. And also, like you're in Ohio, are you going to stay in Ohio? Or are you going to relocate? And if so, where are you going to relocate to? So those are the things I would tell you to look at before actually buying the home. Because maybe you don't buy, you know, I've got numerous clients now that uh, their downsizing process has been, they sell the home and rent. They sell the home most of the time, like in this case, they, they're making a good buck on the sale of the farm. They made a good buck on the sale of their primary. They didn't have to pay any capital gains on that because it was their primary resident. Now they take that money, they go invest it, and they're using that investment income to actually pay the rental because they, in most of the cases, they do not want to have to deal with the upkeep or the capital expenditure of owning a home. 
So, uh, Ohio, hopefully that helps you. The last one comes to us from New Jersey. How much long-term care coverage is recommended? Also, it seems as if there are hundreds of different policy options out there. Uh, And you are correct. It seems like they're growing constantly when I get the emails from all the different vendors and what they're offering. So with regards to the coverages that are needed, you know, uh, you can kind of, in our area right here in Pennsylvania, the average for full-blown skilled nursing care, so like a nursing home type of facility, you're looking to spend between nine and $10,000 a month. So a, a pretty significant expense. And there's all different types of studies out there that say on average, you know, whether you're in assisted living or full-blown skilled care, you're going to need it probably anywhere from 22, 21 months median, top, you know, maybe 36 months. So, it, I mean, it can be an expensive proposition for that type of coverage. So if we just take $10,000 a month and we look at 36 months, you know, that's $360,000 of coverage based on today. And they say that on average, those costs are going up, you know, what is it, six, eight, 10% per year, kind of fluctuating back and forth. So you need some significant coverage if you're looking to do that. Now, let's talk about all the hundreds of different policies that are out there. There's really just a couple different policies that are, and then there's variations of those. So one type is a long-term care only type of insurance plan. And what I mean by that is the benefits that are associated with that type of a policy are only related to needing, usually you want to look for one that's going to cover home care. That's going to be a certain, usually a dollar benefit per day, maybe $200 a day, $250 a day. Then you're going to look for assisted living. Then you're going to look for skilled care or nursing home care and what that is and what the so what the maximum daily amount is and then what the maximum policy value is. So that, that total number that would be paid out based on those daily benefit amounts, depending on the type of care you're getting, up to that maximum. And you want to see if that is going to be able to you know, cover that expense that you're thinking. And those policies can have other, you know, benefits to them. They can have an inflationary factor where the benefit increases over time. Some of them have a lifetime uh, or no cap on uh, the lifetime benefit that you're entitled to. The one thing you do want to understand on those type of policies is that they are going to go up in price as you get older. It's just a given. I know somebody out there might tell you, well, if they raise it for you, they raise it for everyone. And I'm telling you, they raise it for everyone. What do I have to say for compliance? 99.9% of the time, you know, not a hundred, but pretty doggone close. I can tell you that of the clients that we had that have come on board with us that already had those type of policies is that I have not had one that hasn't come to me. And this is what one of two things has happened. Either if they want to keep the same benefits in place, the premium increases. If they want to keep their premium the same, the benefits are either frozen or decreasing in value to them. So one of those two things is happening. So you want to recognize that. But that's like a long-term care only type of program. The other type of policies out there are really almost like hybrid life insurance policies We're using a life insurance instrument, and 
then they are adding some type of a long-term care rider onto them. And essentially what that means is they're going to accelerate whatever that life insurance death benefit is payable in the event you have a care event. Again, usually whether you need home care, assisted living care, or full-blown skilled care, usually both policies, long-term care only or some type of a hybrid life policy, is going to be paid out when you can't perform two of the six activities of daily living. And those are eating, bathing, getting dressed, toileting, transferring, and continence. Once you can't do two of those, both of those policies are going to pay out. Now, those life hybrid policies are structured in all different types of ways, and that's when we, that's probably why you're saying there's hundreds of different policies out there. You can structure one where maybe you only pay for five or seven years a premium and then you don't have to pay anything else. And that that life insurance and uh, along with the long-term care is already taken care of and guaranteed. You can have other ones that you have to pay indefinite, and you can choose how long you want that premium to be paid. Let's say you're gonna um, you know you're gonna have it guaranteed premium right now. You can go up to 120, but let's say you're only gonna take it to 90 or 95. Usually when you pay out longer, you're going to get a higher death benefit, which means you're going to get a higher long-term care benefit associated with that. The other type is where I'm just got a, I got money sitting over here doing nothing. Let's say I've got $150,000 or $200,000 sitting in cash or CDs. And is there something more that I can do with that? Now, you're not going to earn anymore, but what you could do is you could just dump that money into a policy, and it's going to have a life insurance benefit attached to it. Many times it has a multiple where you're actually getting more long-term care coverage than life insurance coverage. Let's say you dump $200,000 into it. You get $300,000 worth of death benefit, for example. You might get $550,000 of long-term care coverage associated with that. The benefit of the life insurance hybrid policies is, first of all, it's easier when you're in retirement to plan for that expense, whether it's an indefinite all the way to 95, or you're going to pay for it for five or seven years, or you're just doing a dump in, then it can be done. And it's very easy to plan for versus the long-term care only insurance, which has the tendency to increase over time, especially if you get it when you're younger, it's very reasonably priced. And then by the time we really need it, which could be 80, 85 years old, if you even have it, because the cost continues to increase. So, you know, those are the different ways that you want to look at it. And then the other thing you want to make sure you're understanding, whether it's a long-term care only policy or one of these life insurance hybrid policies, is is the benefit paid out as an expense or an indemnity benefit? If it's an expense, and let's say my maximum daily value is I can get $500 a day, but my expense is only 200, that's all they're giving you. If it's an indemnity, once I qualify that I can't do two of those six ADLs, I get that full 500. And so you want to understand, you know, is it expense or is it an indemnity type of benefit payout? So hopefully that helps you understand instead of there being a hundred different type of policy options, we kind of narrowed it down a little bit. If you have any other questions about that, you know, feel free to give me a call 610-719-3003 or schedule a conference call with us at speakwithmatt.com. Again, speakwithmatt.com. My online calendar is there, and you can schedule a 15- or 30-minute conference call. I'll be more than happy to discuss that or any of the other ones that we talked about or if you have one specifically that you would like to speak to me personally about, 
feel free to do that. If you would like to send us a question or concern or scenario that you would like for us to address on the show, please do that at info at smartmoneyquestions.com or just go to smartmoneyquestions.com and there is a form there that you can fill out. So listen, everyone, I hope this has been helpful and valuable to you. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Everybody take care.